I want to say welcome to Asante Church this morning, but really I want to say welcome to Fight Club. Welcome to Fight Club. The rules to Fight Club are simple. Rule number one, you don't talk about Fight Club. Rule number two, you don't talk about Fight Club. Rule number three, if someone says stop or goes limp, taps out, the fight is over. Rule number four, only two guys to a fight. Rule number five, one fight at a time. Rule number six, no shirts, no shoes. Rule number seven, fights will go on as long as they have to. Rule number eight, if this is your first night of Fight Club, you have to fight. Now, a lot of you are really confused. Um, I thought that was Pastor Alex up there, not Tyler Durden, or a really in shape Brad Pitt, and clearly pretty close, okay, <laughs> to being Brad Pitt when he's 80. Okay, conflict is inevitable. That is what we are talking about today is conflict. Conflict in the church or conflict outside of the church. Conflict in our homes or conflict on the road. If a golf cart jumps out in front of you or if you're just trying to get on to grand and there's only one exit out of this place and it's absolutely insane and I pray that God will protect all of us as we try to get on to grand. Conflict will happen, whether it is between loved ones or if it is between strangers. And the thing is, in all of your time, either in this church or in your relationships, and even in Jesus, sadly, either you will pick a fight or a fight will be picked against you. So what do we need to do? What do we need to do as a church? What do we need to do as people in relationships? We need to learn to fight. So I'll say it again. Welcome to Asante Church, but over the next two weeks, welcome to Fight Club, where we learn how to have conflict, where we learn to fight healthily, where we learn to have a difference of opinions that does not lead to division within the church. Today, we'll discuss why we fight. Next week, we'll discuss how we fight, and today we'll touch on that a little bit as well. But my challenge to you is to lean into this. I know a lot of us can be conflict-averse. We don't want anything to do with conflict, and at the first sight of it, we're going to tuck tail and we're going to run. Don't let that be the case now, because conflict is a part of life. Conflict will come for you. And so if you're here today and you say, I don't have many conflicting relationships in my life. I'm not married. I'm not in a relationship. I'm, uh, I'm just a kid or I'm just a retiree taking it easy. You notice I left parents. I left married couples out of that. You know you fight a lot. You may not know how to fight, but you fight. We all have relationships of some sort. And every single relationship that we have, God has called us to steward it well. It is our responsibility within those relationships to communicate well. It is our responsibility to protect those relationships well. And it is our responsibility to realize that as believers, that those relationships are actually being targeted. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So today, we look at James chapter 4. We're going to be in the book of James, and this is going to be verses 1 through 8. We want to answer one question. This morning, why is it that we fight? And James 4, 1 through 8 will help us figure that out. Important thing to note before we dive into this is, first of all, who is James? It's not the guy running our sound right now. James, 
is the brother of Jesus. We see that in Matthew 13, 55. Not only is he the brother of Jesus, but he is also the leader of what would later be the church in Jerusalem. We see that in Acts chapter 15. And James has a purpose for writing this book, and especially to writing to this church, and that is for that church and now this church to be not just hearers of the faith, but to be doers of the faith. Not just for us to show up to church and participate for a little bit, to sit down and hear it, but to actually apply it to our lives, to leave this place, to be the church, to display the kingdom, even in the way that we have conflict. So this morning, go ahead and turn in your Bibles, flip to them, scroll to them. We're going to answer the question in James chapter 4, 1 through 8, why do we fight? And the first thing that we see in the three points that we have today is just one big statement that's going to continue to build on itself, but that is that we fight because there is a fight that is in us. We fight other people because there is an internal conflict taking place within us, James one says this, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? So what causes fights, what causes quarrels between us in the church? It is our passions. It is the things that fire us up. It is not the things that we are humdrum, kind of bored about. It is the things that get us going. The things that really fire up and stoke our passions are our opinions. It is our preferences. It is the things that we want for who? Ourselves. You ever get in a fight with somebody else over what you wanted for them and it was in their benefit and in their favor? Probably not. Not unless they were just really, really stubborn. Today we have to realize there is a way to fight and the reason we fight is because it starts in us. Why does it start in us? What James tells us here is that our hearts manufacture selfish desires. Our passions are at war within us. Our passions, again, our self-centered desires. Passions is the Greek word that stands for hedonism or translates to hedonism. So we go after our desires. We go after our pleasures. And that is the first and foremost thing at the front of our mind. That is all that we can focus on. And that is all that we want. And we're going to go after it. And we're going to get it at all costs, no matter who gets in our way, no matter who we have to hurt. And it hurts people. And in turn, hurt people end up hurting people. So we have to be careful. We have to be careful in the way that we have conflict. We have to be careful with the way that we deal with our opinions. We have to be careful in the way that we deal with our preferences. And why is that? It's because at the core, we're selfish. Now, I know we're selfish. And I know that we're selfish from the very beginning because I have a four-month-old at home. You know what happens when that four-month-old is hungry? He makes it known. Very loud and for as long as he needs because he needs nourishment. And that's built into him so that he can survive. But it is a desire. I need this. I want this. If he is laying on his back and he wants to be held, he is going to cry. He is going to fuss. And now he's getting a little bit stronger. And so he's doing, um, it's basically like a, uh, if a full grown man were to do this movement that he is doing, you just look like a mermaid. You know what I'm saying? Like, hey, I don't want to be held on my back like I'm a newborn baby, dad. I'm a full grown four month old man right now. I need you to hold me looking out so I can see the world. Okay, so I'm going to do this little flipper dolphin move right here until you move me around. 
it's real selfish of him. I wish he'd just let me hold him how I want to hold him because I'm selfish too, a little hypocritical. But the thing is with being selfish, we never had to be taught how to be selfish. You can look at a little bit older kids and you can see that as well. Our girls are starting to learn math. They're starting to learn uh, multiplication. They're learning that in second grade now. I'm not really sure why. I didn't really get that down until sixth grade. I know they taught it to us in fourth grade. I was just playing Pokemon, okay? I was a little busy being selfish. You know what we never have to teach kids how to do? We never have to teach a kid how to get up, walk across the room, and steal a toy away from another kid. You know why? Because they're selfish. It is ingrained in us. We are born into it because of our flesh. Paul would put it this way, Romans 7, verses 21 through 24. So I find it to be a law that when I, that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God, in my inner being. I love God and I want to do his things. It doesn't say that, I'm adding that. And then he goes on to say, verse 23, But I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And this right here, this is the fight that is taking place within us. Whether it is good or bad, there is a fight and there will be a major fight. It's good versus bad or it is right versus evil. It is the spirit against the flesh. And our hearts and our minds are the fields in which this battle is being waged. I remember being in Bible college. I remember a speaker coming in, and I don't remember much of what he said, but I'm pretty sure he preached on this scripture right here. And he kept saying one thing over and over and over. We got two dogs in us. We got two dogs in us. Now, if somebody is to come up to you in a conversation and they're to say, I got a dog in me, hopefully you're about to play some kind of sport with that person. Otherwise, if it's like at Walmart in the parking lot and they walk up to you and say, I got a dog in me, you just need to run as fast as you can to your vehicle. You need to get the mace out, make sure it's not expired. Otherwise, it's going to be like some pepper dust that comes out. You know, make sure you really get them real good in the eyes because that person is going to come against you in some kind of altercation, in some kind of violent kind of way. But this guy kept saying there are two dogs in each of us. Which one will you feed? Will you feed the good dog? Will you prioritize time with God? Or will you feed the bad dog, the evil dog? Will you prioritize yourself? Will you go about your day not doing what God has called you to do, but doing just what you want to do? Will you just ignore God for just long enough that you don't even consider him even more, and you go about your day being unprotected, being distracted, and being distanced? Now, here's the thing. We got two dogs inside of us. One's good, one is evil. One is spirit, one is the flesh. And we choose every single day which one we're going to feed. You feed the spirit by spending time with God. You know what happens? Inevitably, you don't feed the other dog. And that other dog starts to starve, and it gets weaker and weaker and weaker. But if you ignore the spirit and you say, no, I'm going to do me. I'm going to go live by my truth, not what God's truth is in my life. I'm going to go for that. Then you are feeding the evil dog, the flesh, the enemy, the world that is influencing you. And what you're doing then is you are starving the spirit within you. You are quenching him. And if you do that day after day after day, eventually it's going to look like there's no relationship with Jesus in your life at all. 
conflict with other people will boil up that you have probably pushed all of them so far away and distanced them so far away that you are lonely and that you are isolated. So how does this play out in our lives? We see that throughout the rest of our verses this morning, James 4, 2 through 6 mainly. We see that there is a fight in us. And that leads to our second point. And that fight leads to battles between us. Point number two, that leads to battles between us. James 4, 2 through 6, you desire and do not have, so what do you do? You murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let's break this down bit by bit. This will be the majority of what we work through this morning. First and foremost, we need to see that we fight each other for what? To get what we want. We see that right there in verse 2. We fight each other to get what we want. There is a sliding scale of selfishness that I have found in my life that makes me sick, and I'll share that with you. Maybe you'll identify with it. Maybe you can share how selfish you are with me after church today. We can repent together and we can feel better about ourselves. But for me, it always starts in one place. Being a, a pastor in ministry, and ministry is always taking place. It's a 24-7 job. Now having a six-year-old, an eight-year-old girl, and now having a four-month-old boy. There is something that is always going on. There is always something to do. There is always a need to take care of. And if I am not very careful and spend time with God to make sure that he is pouring into me so that I have enough to pour out into other people, eventually I will get very dry in my walk with the Lord. I will get famished. I will get very self-centered. I will get very selfish. And I'll start to have these thoughts like, man, I sit on the couch, recline a little bit, kick the Crocs off. You know, they were in sport mode, just in case you're wondering. <laughs> Live a life of ministry. We can't go comfort mode with those bad boys. Kick them off, lay back. Man, I just want a little peace and quiet. And eventually that grows. See, if I keep that unchecked, you know, that's, that's good. We need to have Sabbath every now and then, but you get a little peace and quiet, you know what you want more of? A little more peace and quiet. You get a little time away from the kids, you know what you want a little more of? You want grandma to go take the kids some more. It happens. And eventually it builds on itself, and it builds on itself, and a good thing can eventually, when it gets unchecked and continues to grow within me, can turn into a very selfish thing. Because now I start thinking, because I haven't spent time with the Lord, I haven't fed that good dog, I keep feeding this evil dog over here, and he's barking louder and louder and louder. He's never appeased. He's never quenched. He keeps being hungry. Well, now, now I want to distance myself from my family. And now I start to think of, you know, life wouldn't be so hard if I just didn't have all these things to do. You know, maybe life would be easier if I just wasn't so busy. Maybe life would be easier if 
we could just figure out what to do with these kids. Or, it just keeps piling up over and over and over. And something that starts off is not a big deal because now I am trying to get what I want because I think that's what I need. When that's really not what I need, what I need is time with Jesus. Not time to veg, not time to just let my brain rot, not more time to scroll through my phone for dopamine hit after dopamine hit. No, I need more Jesus. But eventually selfishness comes in and it says, no, what? You deserve this. You're absolutely right. And so when somebody stands in the way of that, then it's time for a fight. Maybe for the rest of us, it can be, you know what? I just, I just want to be considered. These are my thoughts. These are my opinions. These are the things I'm putting before you or out to all these people. And I want you to know that I feel important. And I think everyone in the church should have a voice. And that voice has a place within the church. But if there's conflict, there's a, an option, there's a route that we go to. And that is to that person. But if we have our thoughts, we have our opinions, we want them to be heard, we put them out there. Well, we feel like they should be heard. And when we feel like they should be heard, we feel like they should be acted on. And when they're not acted on, well, then it starts to fester inside of us. Well, this person isn't considering me. This person must not think that I'm right. And I need this person to know that I am right because this is how I feel. In our feelings, in our emotions, we feel like, you know what, this is the end-all, be-all of who I am in my life. But our feelings and our emotions are not always right. Because our feelings and our emotions, a lot of times, will go against the Word of God. And so what happens? What happens when somebody stands in between the place of, man, I just want a little time off to, and now I'm going to distance myself from my family? What happens when somebody stands in the way of us getting what we want? World War III. World War III happens time after time after time. This person is standing in the way directly of where I want to get to, and so now this person is my enemy. And what happens with us, the Christian, is that instead of having minds of Christ that fight for each other, well, now we have the minds of the world, the minds of our flesh, the minds influenced by our enemy, and we start to fight with each other. James says here that they become murderous, and they fight against one another. Now, there's two thoughts here. One thought, which is held by most scholars and most commentators, is this, that he is referring to his brother Jesus's quote in the Sermon on the Mount, where he says, if you, if you are angry with your brother, that you commit murder in your heart. Now, that could be certainly the case, because that is, that's what Jesus says, that is what is true for us. But there are some scholars that think that there was some kind of conflict within this church that James was pastoring in Jerusalem, that something went wrong. Something went really wrong. There was some conflict in between two members of this church, and one member ended up having their life taken because of it. I think what we can take away from this is that we need to check this in ourselves long before it ever spews over and blows up in anyone else's face. Maybe there's a reason that someone is trying to come in between you and what you think you want for yourself. If that person is a believer, if that person knows you better than anyone else, maybe it's best if you listen because they probably have what is best for you as far as a kingdom God-centered agenda in your life more so than you do in that moment when you are in your selfishness. What's the second thing we see here? We see that we beg God to give us what we want. This is verses 2 and 3. We ask, but we do not receive. Why don't we receive? Because we are out of alignment with things 
of the kingdom. We have to operate within God's kingdom as God's people. We say, Jesus, you are my king. I want to be a part of your kingdom. If you are going to be a part of the kingdom, that means you have to do what the king says to do. But we take ourselves out of that. And when we fight other people, then we fight opposing the king and his kingdom and how he is saying to live because now we are operating in a way that is going in opposition to other people within his kingdom. Within all of this text today, I think what we're going to see over and over is that there are two different kingdoms that are constantly fighting for our hearts, for our minds, and the first is the kingdom of God. And if you put your trust in Jesus to save you, to clean your slate, to set you in right relationship with God, to help you through conflict like this, then you belong in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God means, again, we follow his agenda. But there is another kingdom, and that is the kingdom of darkness, a kingdom that is ruled and led by the devil himself. And he wants you in everything you can and in your selfishness to put yourself in opposition to God so that he can then whisper lies into your ears. Just build you up with a little bit more pride over and over and over so that eventually you will go against God full time, not just moment to moment to moment. So how do we stay in alignment? How do we stay in alignment with the kingdom of God, his plan, his agenda, his timing, especially when we pray and especially for the things that we are requesting? I think we can ask ourselves this question when making requests to God in our prayers, and that is, How will the approval of my request, of what I am asking of God to do in my life, of what I'm asking him to let loose in heaven so it will be here on earth, how will that advance God's program? How will this move the ball forward for the kingdom of God that I am supposed to be a part of? See, I think too often what we are far more concerned about over God's plan and God's timing and God's agenda and God's will in our lives is what we want. It's my plan. It's my timing. It's my agenda. It's my calendar. It's my busyness. This is what I want, and this is what I am going to go for. And so if you find yourself in a season where you are praying and you are asking God to move in your life, we need to ask ourselves the questions, what am I praying for? What kingdom am I asking God to advance here? Because God is not going to advance a grant request that is going to go directly in opposition to his kingdom. Because you may not realize it yet, but that influence of what I want selfishly in my life is not of God's kingdom, but it is of the world's kingdom. It's not from the kingdom that is top down. It is from the kingdom that is bottom up that is trying to get you to join it. And so we ask ourselves that question. Third thing we see. When we don't get what we want, we tend to do something that is disgusting and that is despicable for the life of a believer. When we don't get what we want, we go and we cheat on God. This is where James uses harsh language. He calls them adulterers. We see this in verse 4. And What we need to realize as believers is that we are in relationship with God. If you are a part of this church, you are part of a small C church. If you are a part of this church, it means you're part of the big C church. If you're part of the big C church, it means that you are the bride of Christ. And so when we go and we worship something or we try to get something on our own accord, we are not staying faithful to him. We are committing 
idolatry. We are saying, I am not going to worship you and follow your plan. I'm going to go get what I want on my own. And that is breaking out of the relationship that we have with God, and that is committing adultery through idolatry in our relationships with him. Instead of doing what he wants, we are doing what the world wants. Instead of feeding the righteous, good dog inside, we are feeding the evil, wicked dog inside. Why is this bad? This is bad because in the life of a kingdom follower of Jesus, godliness and worldliness can exist. I want to let you guys in on a little secret. I love fancy Italian restaurants. Okay? I love fancy Italian restaurants because they bring out a load of carbohydrates before your meal. Um, sometimes it's not even an Italian restaurant. It's just the Cheesecake Factory, and they have the, I call it the, when I was a little kid, I, did, I had no idea why that bread was brown, okay? They got the chocolate bread, and then they got the vanilla bread. It's pumpernickel, okay, just so you know. We're going to learn more than about the Bible this morning. What I love about Italian restaurants is they bring that bread out to you, and it is hot, but also what they bring to your table is this little, little bowl. Um, you know, I feel like Jacob might call it a chalice, you know, if it's this, this communion right here. And they put oil in it, and they put vinegar in it. And I remember growing up as a kid, man, no matter how hard you tried, you could not get that oil and that vinegar to mix. You could keep stirring it, you could keep stirring it, you could keep stirring it. Eventually, uh, my little brother came up with a trick. You can put so much Parmesan cheese in that mix that it kind of dilutes it to the point of it just looks like it's all one big happy family. But then you get it on your bread, and, and then you put it in your mouth, and you're like, no, this is still separate in here. This is crazy right now. This is how the kingdom of God works and the agenda of God works and the kingdom of darkness and the enemy in our lives and his agenda in our lives. The two can never mix. It's like Cowboys fans and Eagles fans. The two can never mix. It's like Rangers fans and Arizona's baseball team fans. I know that at the time of Acts refer to calm down. They don't mix. They weren't supposed to, because we were supposed to be in a covenant relationship with God, the Father, through the work of the Son only. we got to commit ourselves to that, just like we commit ourselves to our wives, to our spouses, to our husbands, just like we commit ourselves to our families, to our kids. We cannot go run around on God because we don't get our way. We can't be selfish children that say, if you don't want to play how I play, I'm going to take my ball and I'm going to go home. But I might stop at this court along the way to see if they'll do things the way that I want to do things. But we see ourselves doing that time and time and time again in life. So what do we see about God when this happens? We see that he is a jealous God, verses 5 and 6, that he does not want to share his bride with false gods. He does not want to share his bride with the flesh. He does not want to share his bride with the world or with the enemy. Now, this little statement right here that God is a jealous God, I'm sure, um, you know, anybody growing up watching daytime TV in the 90s will remember this. Uh, Y'all know somebody named Oprah? She had a big problem with this. This is actually why she became agnostic, because she heard that God was a jealous God. God. And so what we need to realize here is that there's good jealousy and that there is bad jealousy. Bad jealousy is Jacob comes into staff meeting on Tuesday morning talking about healthy conflict. That's all we do, healthy conflict these days, all right? And he's got a nice pair of shoes on, um, Nike kill shots too, right? That's what we're rocking. Amen. Come on. 
I want those shoes. There's a problem. I wear size 15, and they only make those up to 13s, okay? And so uh, we get a little Cain and Abel. I get jealous of Jacob's shoes. I covet them. I kill Jacob. I take his shoes. I turn them into sandals. <laughs> That's bad jealousy. I don't think we should do that. You go with, no, we're not going to do that. There's good jealousy, too. If I were to come into my house and see, um, maybe it's after church today, and see that there's a man sitting in my lazy boy recliner, I'm going to say, uh, hey, babe, I know I was at setup, but it didn't seem like it was that long. Uh, I know we were tearing down the church, and, you know, I, I took the trailer back today, and I'm feeling kind of manly about that. But why is there another man sitting in my seat right now? Oh, well, I, you know, uh, we've been married 13 years, and I just really felt like maybe it was a good time to get a rotation of husbands <laughs> going throughout here. I say, hold up. We're not reversed Mormons around here. We're not going to do that. Say, hold up. We're not, we're not having a shift of husbands coming through this house. You want to know why? One, because that's my chair. Get out of my chair, all right? <laughs> Somebody's about to call the cops. Number two, you're my wife. And I walked into a covenant with you and the Lord, and I said, for better, for worse, till death do us part, no matter how bad things get. You are my woman. And so when you bring that joker in here and the next five on the different shifts that you've come up with, now I'm jealous. There's a difference there. God is jealous because he doesn't want his bride running around on him. But when it comes to conflict, when it comes to selfishness, when it comes to idolatry, when it comes to committing adultery on God through those things, because we want to get what we want, that's exactly what happens. God gets jealous. Now, if you put yourself in opposition to God, you have to realize that you are putting yourself in opposition to God because you have attached yourself to the world. And this is where things kind of get scary for us this morning. If we attach ourselves to the world, now it says that God will oppose us. Why? Because we have become proud. And this is where it gets a little bit scarier in that this has happened before. Because in being prideful ourselves, our pride is actually imitating someone who has detached himself from God before us. The king of pride. His name is Satan. You may know him as the devil. We see that Satan exalts himself, saying, I know better than you, God. And God says, you don't know better than me. And this is disobedient. And then God casts Satan out with a third of the stars of heaven, as we see in Revelations, and angels fall. In our pride, in our opposition, in our self-exaltation, in our knowing better, in our going after what we want over what God wants, it removes us from the kingdom of God, and it puts us in ranks with the enemy. But in God fashion, in the Holy Spirit, and how he put the text of Scripture together, provides us with a solution. When we come in opposition against God, we turn away from God, but he offers a way back home. And as we look at the Scripture today, there's one thing that we need to do to turn all of this around. We need to say no to our pride. We need to say yes to humility. When we humble ourselves before God, what do we experience? We see at the end of the scripture we're looking at. We experience an outpouring of grace. 
there's so much pride that has been built up in our lives. And whether it stayed there because we are American, whether it stayed there because we don't surround ourselves with believers that love us enough to call it out, it's built up a stronghold in our minds. And so if the only way to get rid of the pride in our life is to humble ourselves before others, that means we have to go before God. We have to humble ourselves enough to do so, and we have to say, I need your help getting rid of this in my life. And I think what you'll find is the same thing that the prodigal son finds, is that the farther we go down the road of pride and the further we walk away from the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God never actually stops pursuing us. We start here, and we start walking that way, and every step we take that way, the Lord is right behind us. He's saying you're more prideful than ever. You're more prideful than ever. And you're putting yourself in ranks with Satan. And you keep walking away and you keep walking away. And eventually there's going to be a thought of humility that clicks into our minds and says, man, I am not who I used to be. And my life is not going the way I want it to go. And we turn around and we think we're going to have to look all the way back at the kingdom of God and a life under his agenda. And we're going to have to work on our own strength to get all the way back there. But what we're met with is a loving God who is right there waiting for us to turn around this entire time. And he says, I love you. And he says, be done with this pride. And he says, welcome home. He says, you can't even walk back because you walk so far on your own. So now I need to pick you up and I need to carry you myself. I need to bring you back into right relationship with me. And it's not going to be on your terms. It's not going to be through your work, through your power, through your strength. But it's going to be through my strength and my sending of my perfect son to die on the cross after living a perfect life, to die for your sins so that when this happens, all you have to do is turn around and say, come get me messed up. My pride has taken over. I've destroyed relationship after relationship after relationship in my life. I'm done running. Forgive me. It's time to come home. Pride is, is a lot like no shave November. Yeah, I know we just went from a real serious moment to a joke, but whiplash here in Asante Church Fight Club this morning. Pride is a lot like No Shave November. Let me explain this. I've got three pictures up here of some of the best beards I've ever seen in my life. Look, this guy went from emo, I'm pretty sure he was in My Chemical Romance, to a lumberjack, okay? And that's one month of No Shave November. Now, I think maybe that's more than a month, but that's what Google said, before and after, No Shave November. Um, I got another guy for you here. Um, He went from having no chin to having the best jawline in the whole world. But I have to say this, I think he might have dyed his beard, and that's cheating. You know, if you get a little wisdom in there, you're doing real good. you gotta, you got to let that show. But there is there's one beard that outbeards them all, and that is this man right here. This man, this man. Look, there's two things I'm really, really passionate about in life, okay? You need to know that right now. Three things. Jesus first. You gotta, we're in church right now. i got to say Jesus. Number two, beards. Number three, ramen noodles. This is all of them. If this guy loves Jesus, we're basically brothers, okay? This guy has made a bowl out of his beard, and those are ramen noodles. This is actually part of a video. He puts some sriracha in there, and then he actually eats it after that. We just don't have time for that this morning, or that would have been our lesson. Here's the thing that pride and beards have in common. They just grow. They just grow. And there's nothing that you can do to stop it from growing but you do have to take care of it. Eventually, you're going to have to shave. And the pride that needs to be shaved down in our life can only be taken away by humility. 
So we humble ourselves before the Lord time after time after time. And if we have been hurt people that hurt other people, then we go to those people and we humble ourselves before them. And we've said, you know what? I let my pride, my preferences, and my opinions get in the way of what God wanted to bring between us, and that is unity. And we ask for forgiveness, and we move forward. It goes like this, and then we're going to skip the last point. Maybe I'll send it out in an email later today. Just getting real excited up here today, taking a little extra time. We have conflict in our lives, and we have to look at the conflict, whether that was caused by sin or caused by a difference of preferences. And we have to say, you know what? This wasn't okay. And then we move forward to the next step. And this next step says, this wasn't okay here. And so because I said this and you heard this or you did that and I interpreted it this way, I need to ask you for forgiveness. And if that person is a believer on the other side of that conversation, then that person would say, you know what, I need to ask you for forgiveness as well. And then there's a point and a place where we move forward. And from that point of, this isn't okay, but you know what, I need forgiveness, but now we're okay, we can then move forward and we can say, hey, this is going to be like an awkward marriage uh, fight where we, we, we act a little weird around each other, like we bump into each other in the hallway and we're like, hey, what's going on? Like we're roommates all of a sudden. But eventually we fight for each other, not just against each other. We get past the awkward phases and then we say, hey, you know what, we're actually better on this side of this conflict and forgiveness because of what happened, because we pushed through it and we worked hard to, for this relationship to be restored. Or we can continue to let pride grow on us, and you can go another way, and that is disengagement. And the enemy uses disengagement to tear apart his church. What I want us to be very aware of right now in the life of our church is that we are growing, that God is doing incredible things here, that we have seen 40 people give their lives to Jesus. We've seen 49 people get baptized. That's God moving in a big way. You know who's in direct opposition to that? The enemy. He doesn't want God's church to grow, especially if it is a church that is following God, having a kingdom agenda, being the church and displaying the kingdom that is about Jesus and not about themselves, not about the show, but about the worship of the Son. We can't let conflict get in between us. But when it does, we address it. We go to forgiveness and we move into reconciliation. We fight for one another, not against one another. Let's pray.